0: Find someone around you say you're looking good, looking good, looking good, looking good. So October. Is here. And each year now, for the past three years, we love what we get to do in October. In October, we get to look at what we have called Bible greats, epic stories, the great stories from the Bible. Many have labeled them as just Sunday school stories. We've grown up beyond those, but I really truly believe that we have missed something. And are missing something in our life if we forget or don't know about the Bible greats, the stories of the Bible. And it's amazing as we go through, it used to be that everyone grew up in Sunday school. It was that everyone knew the Bible, but now people don't. And that's okay. Okay. Don't feel bad about that because that's why we want to educate you. That's why we want to teach on these subjects so we can help you. And it's amazing when we would be preaching and we talk about, you know, remember when Daniel was in the lion's den and people were like, man, I've never heard of that. And it was amazing how many times that was coming over. So we thought each October every year, Let's start in Genesis and let's just begin to work our way through the Bible. We don't know when we'll be done. Maybe we'll get to be there before we get finished here and that's okay because then we'll be living with the greats in heaven. Do I hear an amen? But it's amazing how many people don't know these stories. And even if they do, that they don't realize the truth And the truths that there are in these stories for our life. Because it's their story, okay? It's their story. It's Adam and Eve's story. It's Daniel's story. It's David's story. It's Esther's story. But their story, I believe, can bring light and hope to our story. To our homes. To our marriage. To our finances. To our situations. And that's what we want to preach and teach. We're going to teach that their story can be your story. And that their God is still your God. And their God, which is your God, is still able to deliver, to heal, and to set free. Now, some of you may say, come on, Philip. I mean, this is it. I mean, I've been in church all my life. Bible stories. Go back to Sunday school. Here's what we're asking you. Are you ready? Can every one of us, each message this month, come back and say, this is the first time I've heard this. Can we open up our hearts to say like it's the first time we've read this or heard this? Because I believe that there are truths in God's word that you can discover in things that you've heard all your life. How do I know that? Are you ready? Here it is, Hebrews 4 verse 12. God says it. He says, for my word is living and powerful. The word of God is living and powerful. That word powerful there means energetic. Say with me, energetic. It denotes something at work still active and effective. I wish I had a witness in the house. It's the complete opposite of... Argos, which is idle, inactive, and ineffective. Meaning what? The stories, the verses, the truths that we read in the Word of God today can carry fresh revelation into our exact situation that we're in. Meaning what? I can read a verse for the hundredth time and it can be something different to me today. Why? Because God's Word is still alive. It's active. It's effective for your every situation. It's not a history book. It's his story. Come on, it's not history because history's come and gone. It's his story that's still living in each and one of our lives because it's alive and it's living. So we're going to look today at the giant killer, the giant killer, the story of David and Goliath. Perhaps one, oh, I was probably in my top five of favorite stories, plus David. I love David. David is my hero through the Bible. So we're going to read plenty of scripture today. We have it on the screen. Please bring your Bibles to church. Bring notepads to church. It's just really important just to get connected and plugged in. But as we go through the scripture today, follow along, help us out because we're going to set the whole scene of this story today. First Samuel 17 is where we take our story from. 1 Samuel Chapter 17, that's the one after 16 and the one before 18 in your Bible. Just checking. So it's right there. First Samuel 17, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And they were gathered at Sokoah, which belonged to Judah. In other words, notice this, please. They had invaded the Israelites' turf. They were on God's people's ground. And they encamped between Sokol and Ezekiah in Ephes Daman. What I understand is they somewhere near Lafayette, somewhere like that, they said. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on one mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them, In other words, they were standing facing each other on opposite hills or mountains. Now I like how the New Living Translation begins of verse 4. It says these two words, Then Goliath. Say with me, then Goliath. Yes. Then Goliath. Reading on from the New King James says, And a champion, Goliath, Went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. In other words, he's over nine feet tall. He's a tall dude. He's a big, big fella. And then it goes on to explain his armor, his arsenals, and everything that he has with him. Here's the message today. You ready? I want to give you 12 points today. I want to give you 12 truths or 12 what? life applications that you can have and life lessons from, your, from this story that can also be relevant for your story. So here's lesson number one. Are you ready? There's always going to be opposition in your life. There's always going to be an enemy in some shape or form that is lined up against you, facing you, taunting you, calling you out, evading your life space. You may say, Pastor Philip, that's pretty negative. No, I'm just being truthful today. Because there's an enemy. If you are, if you're not encountering the devil, that's because you're working with him. We should be facing him head on. Why? Because he is our adversary, the Bible said, meaning he's not our friend. The devil ain't your friend. So you need to understand that he is opposed to you. In fact, John ten ten tells us what he wants to do: kill, steal, and destroy. Not good. He wants to come and take your life, and he's not finished with just you. He wants your kids, he wants your finances, he wants your future, he wants every part of your life. So there's an enemy that's facing you, and it doesn't help that sometimes it's a giant. It's a giant. So read verse 8, it says, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come up to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Which we'll discover later was their wrong confession or their wrong focus. So hold that thought. Goliath said, Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Let him come down to me. Satan will always take you down always wants to bring you down. The wrong friends will always bring you down. Depression will always take you down. The enemy that wants to stand opposed to you does not want to promote your life. He wants to take you down. Verse 9, If he is able to fight with me, Goliath said, and kill me, then we, the Philistines, will be your servants. But if I, the champion, nine foot tall dude, if I prevail against any of you and kill any of you, then you'll be my servants and you'll serve us. Verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight. Verse 11, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I wonder how many times we find ourselves dismayed. I wonder how many times we find ourselves afraid. It could be said they were confused and they were fearful. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Oh wow, we had a great day in church, but God, I don't understand why the attack. Have you ever been confused and fearful? Have you ever said something like this? But God, I thought you were with us. Why is this? What is this problem? How come, God, I I don't understand that you're giving me answers or questions I don't possess the answers to? So what happens? Fear comes. What do we know of fear from God's word? Fear is not of God. If we're living in fear, God's not given us fear. The enemy wants us to be bound and literally paralyzed by fear because the enemy wants us to see there's no way out. The enemy wants us to think this is it. He wants us to live in terror each and every day. Picture this, every morning Goliath would come out, every night. So what happens before they go to bed? They hear it, so all night they're thinking about it. They can't hardly sleep. Because of the attack in their mind. Come on, I'm preaching their story, but really it's our story. Come on, I'm preaching this story, but really this is your story. Because you know how you go to bed and you come across the the island in the kitchen and all of a sudden you see that bill with an eviction notice and, and that's just before you go to sleep. You don't have a good night's sleep. Come on, you see that FEMA check on top of the counter. You're not having a good night's sleep. Because you see the devastation and and the anguish around you like, man, how can this happen? And then if that's not good enough, you're rubbing the eyes in the morning because you're tired. You get up and bam, it's right there again in the morning, staring you in the face, taunting you and taking you down. Why? Because you cannot get away from problems. People try to mask their problems. That's why there's so much alcohol and drugs today and and, and people just in relationship after relationship. Why? We're trying to mask the problems. We're trying to ease the pain and the suffering from the opposition that's all around us each and every day. The enemy will say, this is as good as it's going to get for the rest of your life. Point number two, are you ready? Truth number two, God always has your answer. God always has the answer for you. God always has the answer. Look at the very next verse. As it looks like it's over and it's down and it's not going good, it says, now David. Remember verse 4 from the New Living Translation says, then Goliath. It's like God said, okay, you can have your day now David, God's like saying, okay, now this is my day. I've never seen it before. It's almost like a play. Has anyone ever been to a theatrical play? And they have the scenes that are set up and someone comes in and they act out. The first scene of this play is the enemies lining up and Goliath standing and saying, come on, who's going to come and fight me? Let's get this over. Let's do this. The curtains close." All of a sudden, as the curtains are closing, there's a rumble in the background. They're setting the stage. And now the curtains open. And where are we? We're in Jesse's house. We're out on the hillsides of Jerusalem or Bethlehem. Because all of a sudden, the scene changes from a war zone or an enemy-opposed place to now a quaint, home-looking place. Look at it says. Now David, he was the son of of the Ephraimite of Bethlehem of Judea, whose name was Jesse. And Jesse had eight sons. And the man was old and advanced in years in the day of Saul. But this just wasn't any David. This was the David. This was the David. What do I mean by that? He's God's choice. He's the one that God has chosen. He's the one that has been sent as the answer the problem. Who was the problem? Saul. Why was Saul the problem? Because he was disobedient. You can read that in 1 Samuel 15, 16. Saul is disobedient. As a result of his disobedience, God anoints another. Look what it says. Samuel 1, 16. Samuel, by the way, is the prophet. He's the mouthpiece of God. He's upset. And the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, for I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. Look at that. I have provided myself a king. That translation better written there would be this. I have seen my king. How awesome. God says, I've provided. I've seen my king over there. God always sees the answer in every situation. Why does he see the answer? Because he has placed the answer every time in your life. Why? Because David's a type of Christ, if you haven't realized this, and your answer is God each and every time. God is the answer, what we need. So many times, though, we can look at the answer and think, man, I don't like it. Why? Because it can be packaged in a way that we don't always comprehend it. We always don't get it. you got a nine foot dude and you need a champion and here's a little shepherd. Boy, God, I don't get it. I don't see it. What do they say? When you look back, hindsight is always 20-20. Why is it that we don't get it? Why? Because things are packaged different to what we think they are And so many times we don't see the answer that's right in front of us because it doesn't have the appearance of what we think it should be. And it goes on to say, And David was the youngest, and his three oldest brothers, which were Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, they followed David. Verse 15, But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Notice it says that David frequently or occasionally went and returned. Why? Because David was hired as a musician. Because of Saul's disobedience, an evil spirit would come upon him. And when the evil spirit came upon him, they sought a musician that could play. David would play the harp any time he played the harp. The harp, the Bible says, the evil spirit would be driven out from Saul. He was being used as a musician in the king's palace. But what would he do? He wouldn't just stay there. When he fulfilled his task, when he had played his tune, he would then leave to go back because he had responsibilities at home that he had to take care of. So he would leave a palace to go back to the wilderness for some sheep. And this is even after David has been anointed as king. You've got to understand this. This is even after he's been anointed a king. I wonder where we would be if we're just minding our own business. All of a sudden, the oil flows all over us. The prophet of God says, Here's the next king of Israel. I wonder what would be our next move. Our next move would probably be unpacking my bags. And for many of us, we would probably say, I ain't packing my bags because I don't need those clothes anymore because I'm going to go and get me some new clothes. I'm going get me some new stuff. Man, leave that car. Man, I don't need that one anymore. I'm going to get me a new car. I'm to... That would be our first thought. We'd be packing our bags because our heart would already be in our new home. But that's not David. David's heart was still where he was at. David's heart was still in the right place. And what does David do? David goes back to the sheep. Here's truth number three. Are you ready? Life lesson number three. Don't ever forget what got you to the place where God can use you. Don't ever forget... Some of us, we get so full of ourselves when God chooses to use us that we forget the fact of we were alcoholics. We forget the fact that we were broken and destitute. And God saw something in us that He chose us and brought us. Don't ever forget your testimony. Why? Because it's really important. Because if you forget your testimony, you start judging other people before their testimony. Well, I can't believe, why would they come to church like that? Listen, remember how you came to church. Remember where you were. Don't ever forget where you are. In other words, you got to live in complete humility before God. Humility is being devoid of pride. One of the biggest enemies in the church today is, of course, Sin, but it's pride, the pride sin, the sin of pride, where I think I'm better than, you know why a lot of people don't come to church? Because of the pride of church members, because we present and paint a picture that we're better than everyone else. My God, don't forget what God saved you from and where he's taken you to, because you can be an example to other people, because you can say, let me tell you something, I know where you were because I was there too, but notice I'm not there anymore. You don't live where you were, but you remember where you were. So you can bring hope and truth to other people. Thank God none of us in here deserve His grace and His mercy, but He's given it to us anyway. I know I don't deserve His grace and mercy, but He's given it to me. Now listen, God doesn't need your help in life. God needs your obedience. You may say, hold on a second, isn't that really help? Yes, it is, but it's help with the proper motive. Because now you're doing the right thing out of the right motive and the right heart. Yes, David's anointed, but he still is waiting for his God-appointed time. Verse 16, and as a reminder again of the opposition, here it is, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening, first thing and last thing. Just in case you forgot, God wants to drop that in to remind us. Again, verse 17, then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephrah of this dried grain and those 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And he carried these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and he, to see how your brothers fare and bring me back news. Point number four, truth number four, life lesson number four. Are you ready? One word, but it's so powerful character. Character. Never underestimate the importance of having godly character. Being God-like, because that's what God desires, because that's what God looks for. God has to build that inside. You can't just wake up today with character. Character is a process. Every day you have to do the right thing and make the right decisions because God wants to build. Notice what it says, verse 20. I love this. So David rose early in the morning. He's been given a day off. What do you want to do when you have a day off? You want to sleep. He's been out with the sheep in the wilderness. His dad says, I've got another task. I want you to the, go to the battle. What could he have done? He could have slept in a little bit. But no, no, no. Why not? That's not his character. That's not the type of person that David is. Because the Bible says he rises early in the morning. He leaves his sheep with the keepers. And he takes the things that he had been given. In other words, he took bread and cheese. He was the first pizza delivery boy. Amen. So he's delivering the pizzas to the... Enemy or to the army, and he went as his dad had commanded him, and he came to the camp as the armies were going out to fight and shouting for the battle. Every morning they would wake up, they would pump themselves, there was a pep rally, come on, let's go, and they're like woo-woo woo-woo fight, fight, foot, 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 foot. They'd been doing this for forty days just to be let down every day. But every day they wake up thinking this day could be different. My God, we need to wake up every day believing that this day could be different. Even though they found themselves still defeated, you've got to wake up with fresh hope each and every day saying, come on, Jesus, come on, Jesus, come on, Jesus. Anyone seeing some different stuff in this story today? Come on. And what we see is this, David making a vacation out of a command. He's up early, willing, prepared, gone. I believe that says volumes about the type of the person that David was without really anything being said. I wonder what's been said of your life. I wonder what your life is saying of you. We're not talking about the words you say, just the way you handle yourself, your character, how, how integrity, if you've got honesty, if you're faithful, if you're committed. I wonder what the character of your life is saying without your man. Nothing was too big for David, nothing was too small because he had godly character, he was faithful, he was committed, he had stability, he understood authority. He never forgot what God had saved him from but he also remembered what God had saved him for. I love this story, verse 22. And David left his supplies in the hands of the keepers. And what does he do again? He runs to the army. He's busy. He's he's not just strolling around. He's engaged. He's active. And, And he came to his brothers. He's running with keenness and willingness. But when he runs, he sees something that he doesn't expect. Verse 23. Then as he talked with those, there was the champion, the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, went in the opposite direction. They fled from him, and were dreadfully, fight, 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 oh no, Ah, run! Everything changed. Everything changed. Here's, Here's truth number five, point number five, life lesson number five. Are you ready? You've got to live with a different perspective. You've got to see life in a different way to perhaps even what others are seeing around you right now. Oh, everyone or a lot of people have been flooded. You've got to have a different perspective on your life moving forward. Oh, the government has let me down. Listen, that needs to be changed. Yes, they have. But why are you trusting in something man-made to help you in the first place? What our perspective needs to be, hey, we don't have much to work with, but the last time I checked, God can still take five loaves and two fishes and feed a multitude. God can still. We've got to have a fresh, oh, I'm miserable, I'm depressed, I'm feeling like sickness is coming on. I'm going to call my boss and tell him I need the week off because I kind of feel like I'm going to be sick. You need a new perspective in life. You need to start seeing things in a different way. Why? What do we see in this story? David sees and hears the same things of everyone else. But yet his perspective on the situation is completely different. He's not running. The Bible doesn't say he's running. He reacts in a different way. Why? Because his different perspective was this. This is one of my favorite lines. Are you ready? What they saw as a giant, David saw as a target he couldn't miss. What they saw was something so big and bad, opposing. And David was like, man, how could I miss that? I could hit that dude with my eyes closed. The different perspective we see in life. What do you see in your sickness? Do you still see the fact that he's your healer? Come on, I'm preaching better than your to today. Come on, you've got to have a different perspective. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to see things differently. You need, you need some spiritual glasses on or something like that. Come on now. Some of you need those thick ones. Yeah, yeah. You need to really see good. Come on, come on, come on. He had a different perspective. Verse 25, I personally think in reading the story, and I'm not going to argue with you, I believe that David already says something, and as a result, they're responding. I believe that he's watching everyone running, and he's standing there going, dudes, what's up? I mean, what's happening? Why are you going the other way? What's happened? I thought we were going to fight. What's taken place? I think he stood there, and by his life, as people are running by, he's like, hold on, grabbing people, what's going on? Maybe, I mean, read it how you want but look what it says, So the men of Israel said to David, "Have you seen this man who has come up? You know, what, what's going on God? Have you seen him? And you're asking us, what's up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and shall not the man who kills him the king will enrich with great riches, and he will give him his daughter, and he give his father's house exemption from their taxes." That's a pretty good deal right there. That you're going to be given riches, the king's daughter. She was good looking, by the way, which is a bonus right there. And thirdly, exempt from taxes. That would be nice, wouldn't it, if you never had to pay Mr. IRS ever again. There's no takers to the deal, but wait, hold on a second, maybe there is. Verse 26, then David. Say with me, then David. Then David. He asked the question again. But notice when David asked the question in verse 26, he's not really interested on, tell me again what he's going to get. Because many times that's the thrust of our life. So tell me again, what am I going to get through this? Notice what David's main concern in verse 26 is this. I don't really care, he says, what you get. All I care is this. Who is this dude? This uncircumcised Philistine. One out of covenant with God. Who is this that would dare? It doesn't matter about what the reward is and what I can get or anyone can get at. Who is this that they would dare come up and badmouth, my God. I'm mad. I'm upset. Do you see the difference? There's a difference because there's a character inside of him. He's seeing things from a different perspective. And oh wow, wouldn't it be great if we ended the story there. But then there's verse 28. And 20 Acts begins with, now Eliab. Now Eliab. It was then Goliath. It was then David. Now it's Eliab. Who is Eliab? He's the oldest brother of David. He's the bitter one. Why? He's the firstborn. And in those days, the firstborn carried the rights of the family. He was the one in the natural that should have been the king. He was God's choice, people thought. Even Samuel, the prophet of God, thought he was the one. How do we know this? First Samuel 16, 6. So it was when they came that Samuel looked and saw Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Samuel's even the one saying, man, yeah, that's a big bad dude. Man, God, you do good with that. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, and this is what you need to listen to today. Don't look at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. He has a different perspective on things. He sees things different to what you see. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God is beginning with the character of our lives. He's working something inside of you so you can begin to see in a different way. Because when everyone else is running away, you're standing and saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Though He slay me, yet will I still trust Him? My God is able to do exceedingly abundantly abundantly above and beyond. Why? Because what's inside is greater than what's on the outside. You've got to have a different perspective. Here's point number six, truth number six. This is kind of a harsh one right here. Number six, are you ready? Those closest to you may become your greatest opposition. If anyone was going to stand up for him and help him out, you would have thought his family. The sure vote in the situation, you would have thought. How many times have we heard that on the TV now with the presidential um, election coming up and talking about votes and this state is going to vote this and this. It's a sure vote. You would have thought they were a sure vote for David. But oh no, they are turned against even his own brother. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. I know the pride of your heart. I know the insolence of your heart. From what we've read, that's not truth. There's no pride and insolence in David's heart. You see, here's what happens many times in our life. People project the contents of their heart upon you. They begin to assume that what they're feeling inside is what you are. You you just got to be very careful to realize the greatest oppositions can sometimes come from those who are closest. He said, you just come down here to see the battle. The Message Bible says you've come here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat in the bloody battle. It's not the truth. Are you ready? Truth number seven. Is that where we're at? Number seven. Are you ready? You've got to refuse to allow others' assumptions to be your identity. That's not good English right there. You've got to refuse the assumptions of others to become your identity. And I wrote the first one too. It's no one else's fault. It sounded good when I had the thought, but it doesn't sound good when I... You ever thought something and said it out loud? you're like, man, it said a lot better in my mind. That was me. You've got to refuse others' assumptions in your life. I know what you're here to do. Oh, you do? Well, how do you know that? They will project their insolence and their pride upon you. You know what you've got to do? You've got to shake it off. Go like this, shake it off. There's a story in the Bible about Paul. Paul was a missionary of God. He was sent out. And one day he was being sent as a prisoner to Rome. And on the way to Rome, he was shipwrecked. And when they were shipwrecked, they washed up onto an island. Paul is out there. He's grabbing sticks and he's building a fire. The Bible says that a snake came out from the fire. It latched on to him. It's very interesting what he does. You can read Acts 28 verse 7. It says, but he shook the creature off into the fire. And notice the next part. He suffered no harm. He suffered no harm. The people, in fact, were like looking around and going, mm, I, yeah, I know, mm, mm. Sister, I know him. You know why that happened? He escaped the sea, but he can't escape the sin is what they began to accuse him of because God will judge him and he thought he got away with it. But now look, they accused him of sin in his life. But what did Paul do? He shook it off. Why? That serpent didn't come out of the fire because of sin in his life. It came out because of the anointing of God upon his life. The enemy wants to come against you. Oh, we're all sinners. Let's just make that clear. But now we're saved by grace. And when the enemy comes out and wants to attack you, you got to realize he sees something in you because you're a threat to him now. If you weren't no threat to him, he would move on to someone else. But if the enemy's trying to take you out and take you down, it's because he sees you as a threat. Come on, you got to start shaking it off and realizing who God has called you to be. Man, I feel like preaching in the house today. Satan wants to silence and kill your presence. What do I mean by that? Your ability to be in a situation. The devil gets mad when you wake up in the morning because your presence can make a difference. Why? Because when you walk, God says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So when you're walking, you're walking in the presence of God. And if Satan can silence you and take you out, guess what? If you are taken out of the situation, it's going to be a different outcome. If David's gone from this story, we ain't getting to the end of this story. Because if David's gone from this story, it's all over. Verse 29, and David says, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? This is greater than me, David said. I'm living for his cause. I'm living on purpose. I'm not living by accident. Anyone still got your wristbands? We're living by purpose, not on accident. We're, we're living for purpose. We're living in purpose. That's our theme for the year. We're not stumbling through life by accident. We're living by purpose. David says, hold on a second. What are you talking about? This is the moment. All of a sudden he realizes, I believe everything of my life has set me up for this moment. This is my moment and this is my day. And he creates a stir that gets to the king. Verse 31. Now when the words that David had spoke were heard, they reported them to the king and the king sent before him. Now he's standing before a king. Point number eight. Are you ready? We've got to get this done. Got to get this done. Anyone getting anything today? Listen to this. Before you can stand before a king, you must first bow before the king. If you want to see your life promoted and you want to see blessing and favor in your life, you've got to realize that you've got to learn first to be at the feet of a king. You've got to bow before the king of kings and the lord of lords. What got David to the place of the palace was this. He was faithful in serving in the wilderness. If he hadn't have fulfilled his faithfulness in the wilderness, he would not be able to stand in the palace. What do I mean by that? Everything that you think is private to those around God sees and God knows because nothing is private and unnoticed to God. And in fact, it's the things done behind the doors where no one else sees that God sees and that's where he chooses his man and woman for. Why? Because what's done in private one day is going to be made known in public because it sets up our moments. David's known as the giant killer, but it started way before this day. It started in the mundane life of daily living. Look at this statement. Are you ready? If you wait to be prepared or you wait to prepare when it's needed, you're going to be too late. Well, I'm going to get my life ready tomorrow. I'm just going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to get integrity when I need it. I'm going to pay my tithes when I make some money. Listen, you'll never make money if you're not paying your tithes. If you're waiting to be prepared when it's needed, you're too late. You don't show up for a race without the training. Well, you may do, but you ain't going to get very far. So many people are showing up for the race, but they don't want the preparation and the training. Where are we? Here we are. Verse 32, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart faint because of him, for your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're just a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. Remember others' assumptions don't become your identity. But David, say with me, but David. It was then Goliath, then David, then Eliab, and now it's back to David again. You see, the, God allows the enemy to have his say for a moment, but God always has the closing argument in every situation. But David, God's choice, His still His answer. Said to Saul, "Your servant used to keep his father's sheep." I love that. I could preach that. He used to keep his father's sheep. Do you notice that? That's what I used to do. Once I was blind, but now I see. That's who I used to be. Once I was say, once I was a sinner and an alcoholic. That's who I used to be. He already realizes everything of his life ain't going to be the same anymore because everything is changing this day. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it. Are you for real? Yeah, I'm for real. And I delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and killed it. Think about it. He strikes the lion or the bear, grabs the lion. What would you, or the lamb, what would you do? Run for your life. David's like hanging around waiting for it to come up again. And he grabs it by the beard and he strikes it again. That's close combat if you're grabbing something like that by the beard. And he says, your servant has killed both lion and bear. I'm out of breath. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Verse 7, he says, the Lord will deliver me. Here's point number 9. Are you ready? His experience had prepared him. You've got to have an experience in your life. You have got to have an experience. Nothing is ever wasted with God. God takes our tests and he turns them into a great testimony. But we've got to have an experience with God. If you don't have an experience with God, if you haven't had an encounter, in other words, with God, you ain't going to make it. I love you enough to tell you the truth today. If you're here today on your parents' confession of their salvation and you've not had an experience of salvation for yourself, you ain't going to make it. You've got to have an experience for yourself. I like the book John Bevere wrote. He says, is it good or is it God? And he says it this way. You've got to watch because so many times we can have revealed knowledge versus communicated knowledge. What do I mean by that? I know what you're thinking. Hold on, I thought this story was about the giant. No, it's about the giant killer. It's about the giant. We make this story about the giant. But God wants to make this story about the giant killer because the the, the the main role in this story ain't Goliath like people think it is. It's David. The main person in your story is not your neighbor. It's not your husband. It's not your parents. It's not the teacher. It's not the fact. I wish this had happened and that. The main character of the story is you. What are you doing in the midst of your story? Matthew 16 13, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples one day and he says to them this question, who do men say that I am? What is the communicated knowledge? What's the word on the street? Everyone had an answer that day. You're John the Baptist, you're this, you're that. Jesus takes it down one notch and he says these words, verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Remember we talked about the fact that David took this personally? David said, hey, hold on a second, you're talking bad about my God. Why was he upset about him talking bad about his God? Because he had a relationship with God. You can be around other people and no one likes to hear people talk trash or ugly about anyone. But if it's someone you don't know, you kind of excuse it and move away. But try it if it's your own kids. See how you are as someone starts talking trash about your kids. Why? Because you're in relationship with them. You're going to protect them at whatever cost it takes. Hey, I may be a nice person, but don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my wife. Don't mess with my family because all of a sudden I'm going to be like the Hulk. Come on, you won't like me when I'm angry. But think about that. David's taken this personally. It seems like no one else is concerned about that. All they see is a giant. No one hears the fact that he's defiling the armies of God. He's talking bad about God. And why is that? Remember we told you to hold the thought. Goliath had it spot on. He said, I defile you. Send me one of you because you're all servants of Saul. We live in a society today where people are servants to Saul and Saul is a type of this earth, the fleshly world. We don't need to be a servant of this earth. We are a servant and a child of God. God, God. That's why they were crippled with fear. But David saw something different because of relationship. Peter that day stood up and he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Notice verse 17, paraphrase. Jesus looks at him and said, only God. Only this revelation came from God. You've got to have a revelation of who God is directly for your life. You've got to have an experience, an encounter with God. Why? Because if not, while everyone else is running in the opposite direction, you're leading the pack. It takes an experience and a relationship with God to stand. David wasn't mimicking information from what he had read online or seen in a random article. He was sharing the truth that had been implanted, imported, impregnated inside of him directly to his life. Jesus goes on to say this to Peter, verse 18. Paraphrase, but this is what he says. He says, this is what I will build my church through and hell's forces cannot stop those who possess it. When you've got an experience with God, all of hell cannot come against it. Yet, hell can easily deceive those who possess only communicated knowledge. Say with me, "Relationship." relationship. Relationship, relationship. You've got to know God for yourself. And you've got to have an experience that will convince your life. The last part of verse 37, I'm almost done. So Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. Point number 10. I could preach these for weeks. Watch how you go. Watch how you go. Watch who you are through life. So David clothed himself with Saul's armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed himself with a coat of mail. David fastened the sword to his armor, tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, "I cannot even walk with these things; I have not tested them." The Message Bible says, "I am not used to this." King James says, "I have not proven these." In other words, this isn't my experience. This isn't it. This isn't who God has called me to be. It's maybe all right for them, but this is not all right for me. Listen to me right now. There will never be a better you than you. You've got to watch how you go. Just quit trying to be everyone else and be what God has called you to. Why? Because the, the world doesn't need an another because all they need is you. There's already another, but the God just needs you. So what do we see? David says, I've got to watch. I can't go like this. Oh, well, what you need to do is call this. No, what you need to do is hit your knees and pray and seek God. You see, we're quick to take the advice and the armament of everyone else. We need that experience. We need that knowledge of God. David takes them all off and says, I can't go with these. And here's the next point, and I'm almost done. Are you ready? Point number 11. You already have all that you need. David took his staff in his hand when he was a shepherd he chose for himself smi- five smooth stones from the brook. Incidentally, he didn't take five smooth stones just in case he missed. Because what we'll discover later in the life of David, in his kingship, he killed five giants. He didn't kill them all. Some of his men killed them, but there were five giants. When David stepped forth that day, he said, here's one for Goliath and I've got four more stones in the bag because I ain't finished here. I'm going to take down every giant and I'm going to kill he put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch. Notice what it says, which he had, which he already had. And he had his sling in his hand and he drew near to the Philistines. What you may have in your hand may not appear to be much. But God, if only I was as anointed as them. If only I had the ability. If only I could sing like Megan. If only I could play like Michael. If only I, I could smile like Sherry. If only I could run the kids like, like Rob and Christy. Man, they're so good. If only I... Listen. God has given you something that is special to you. And God has already given you everything that you will ever need in life. God has given you everything that you will need. Listen to me, to stand before a giant. But before you stand before a giant, you've got to stand before a king. And before you stand before a king, you've got to kneel before the king of all kings. But Pastor Philip, you haven't even told us about the fight because that's not really the story. The story isn't about the giant and the enemy. We give him too much credit. I said we give the enemy too much credit in our lives where the story is about God's giant killer. Verse 45, we'll take you there. Then David said, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you... In the name of the Lord. In other words, I come to you through this personal experience that I have with God. Because I I remember the lion and the bear. I remember the circumstances of life. I have an experience that's going to carry me through the darkest moments of my life. Point number 12. Are you ready? Here's what David said. And here's point number 12. This is your day. David says, you come to me with all this stuff. But can I tell you, verse 46, this day the Lord has delivered you into my hand. And guess what? David runs at the giant. Read it for yourself. He runs at the giant with a sling in his hand and he throws that rock. And the Bible says that the giant fell flat on his face. Hey, look at geometry. Look at physics. Look at everything you want. If he's running at someone and he hits them in the head, there's no way that that giant falls face down. He falls backwards. But why did God change physics? Why did change, God change? all Why? Because those things that are defying you and standing today are going to have to bow before you to t- tomorrow. They're going to have to bow before you. Because God, nothing can stand in the presence of God. It has to fall on its face. so that's the end of the story. No, it's just the close of a chapter in the life of a giant killer. Because David's life went on and on and on. We all want to be there. But are we prepared to go through the training? You see, his story is my prayer today. Will be your story. Would you stand to your feet today?
1: We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp.hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.
0: i oh, you.